And welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Hey, I'm Randy. And I am Mike. And welcome to our little podcast of insanity. So, hey, saving throw versus insanity entails. <laughs> well, especially because a saving throw is highly appropriate. We're the little podcast of gaming that brightens your day. Hmm. Like That's... a light spell right to the eyes. Ow. Retinas seared like tuna steaks. Oh, ah. ow. <laughs> oh. Staring at the sun without glasses. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> like staring into an eclipse. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. So, moving on. <laughs> Shuffle off the buffalo. Oh, well, yeah, we got a heck of a podcast lined up. Yeah, we've been doing um, genre mashups and looks at post-apocalyptic role-playing games plus we also uh wrapped up our episode of the look at metamorphosis alpha and the starship warden and so continuing on that today we're going to cover expedition to the barrier peaks module s3 as promised oh boy this is one that promises to be very controversial well at least in a fun way controversial yeah I, look the the controversy is well known to all old gamers but uh, there will be a little window into it for the, the newer arrivals and an examination of the module itself. So uh, coming up in the, like, most dominating the second half will be S3 Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. All right. So, yeah, while we're looking in the past, let's also look further in the future. Or near closer to the future, I should say. Pardon. What lies in store for our listeners next week? Ah, the Dreer Romancer is conjured oh once again. Ah, content warning: There may be blood. <laughs> there will be blood. Oh, it's a dreamancer. Like it, it's divination by the watching of dripping blood. So, oh. yeah, I've, my my random selection for <laughs> divination forms. Yeah, that one. Ooh, ooh. paid off though. Yeah, it got got scary. But the dreamancer examines his dripping blood, and what he sees ah. in the near future. Oh, science fiction movie night. Welcome oh. to the 70s. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, we were kind of rolling this one around. We wanted to kind of start doing a science fiction wrap up. But I think that we hit a nerve last week. It was a lot of stuff. So we're going to be covering stuff like Planet of the Apes. Um, oh, uh, Logan's Run. Yeah. And Silent Running. Yeah. These are some dystopian science fiction of the 1970s kind of fitting a, a specific model of like where things were at right and with the planet of the apes we're going to keep it uh, just on that first one on the first movie we're not going to talk about all the others we will make a mention to them but we're going to try to keep it just right on the very first movie there, the outing yeah and uh, once again in this particular case this is not going to be an examination in the sense of these are our three all-time favorites uh, so we're not really pitting these in a competition against one another. Uh, this is more of an examination of three films that are kind of representative of the time period, the quality, and the variety uh, that the 1970s brought to science fiction, uh, which, as it happens, informed the sensibilities of a lot of the people that mm. were gaming and developing games at that time. So, you know, it's part of the, the gestalt. You know? Yeah. Holistically speaking, they had an impact on the state of mind that people had. And a lot of those creatives 
uh, that we respect so much. We're greatly influenced by these. So yeah, so stick around for next week. Tune in and we'll be having an Appendix N movie night on science fiction in the 70s. Outstanding. Now, we got a couple of other curiosities. Uh, let's talk about uh, the ongoing campaign. Uh, that, like, oh, continues. well, I think that what we'd like to... T- why don't we say that one for the end? When we, when we do a cap on that one again. Okay. We uh, I would like episode. to talk about uh, our 250th episode, our lead-up. Oh, yes. And this is the second reminder. Uh, the first reminder was last week. The second reminder, a uh, little bit of a reveal, not of what the test will be in episode 249, uh, but pay attention to episode 249 because the prize that will be on the line is Adventures in the Sword Coast, 5th edition. Yeah, we'll be giving uh, away... Sword a... Coast Adventurer's Guide, 5th oh, sword... edition book. Sword, Cor- sword, uh, sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, 5th edition, will be given away on this podcast. That's right. If you want a copy of that, well, just listen in and we'll tell you how. It will be done in a drawing style. There will be a question, and everybody who accurately answers the question uh, will be entered. But the question will not be revealed until episode 249 our next upcoming episode the question will be placed before the listeners and you will have the power in episode 250 we will announce the results and then we will seek out the victor who will be publicly announced and we will seek them out for address information and make sure that that gets to them right on so yeah we'll be doing a giveaway and yeah, our hunt for a logo still goes on. Um, unfortunately, disappointing. Um, it's not in any in the artists that we've contacted have really. It, it's that our expectation is not being quite met, and maybe we're just not articulating well. But we are. I've literally, I, I came to a conclusion that I'm going to have to give up on our original schematic concept. The the idea of the you know anthropomorphized dice. I, I quit. I thrown yeah. it out because. Frankly, the fruitless pursuit the fruitless pursuit of this has absorbed like a freaking year. Uh, and it's I'm just going to go over to maybe trying some exploratory concepts with the words the dice yeah. are screaming and finding a way to make that uh, groovy looking and cool and like maybe have a dice theme in it, but if it doesn't work, so be it. Pitch that just a beautiful font, an attractive title, a logo with the name itself that doesn't make us, you know, flinch. Yeah, everybody seems to think when we mention it that we're angry. That's kind of not what we are. But maybe that's just the vibe that we give off. I don't know. I, and I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw this out here, and if anybody wants to answer, uh, I'm, I'm kind of tempted if people remember the concert... Uh, promotion posters of the 1960s for the hippie bands uh, oh, yeah. that had the cool letters that, you know, I mean, they did, you could fit it into a square, but uh, the letters were, you know, in that weird Oh, yeah, that font. wavy, gravy, hippie, trippy, dippy. Guy. Yeah, like a Grateful Dead font. You know, I'm kind of tempted by that because we're old enough that that might be relevant. You know? Could be. And we are weird. So, yeah, and our listener base is uh, from 45 to 59 is right in that group. Yeah, so like a lot of a lot of people who are listening to the show would totally groove on that font, I think. But I, I will leave. Yeah, that let us know. Uh, we're trying to get it done, and you know, it's not that the artists are terrible or they don't understand us. Or, don't get us. 
it's the whole point that it's a very hard concept that we have a specific thing and i think that it maybe sometimes it comes down to how there's a difference in how we view things i envision kind of like that uh, old uh, bugs bunny um, baseball game uh between the brooklyn bombers and the uh big lugs and the uh, old tiny baseball guys and they hit the ball out of the park and the ball screen i imagine the d21 and that is also <laughs> the ball flat it's always an angry dice and i don't yeah whereas terrified would be more appropriate. Yeah, we're kind of terrified. Yipe! <laughs> the screaming drive out in the blind field. Okay, so, yeah. Um, let's start. I think we got everything out of the way. Let's start. Jump right into it, right? Okay. Sure. Uh, so here, let's talk about the black cover. The only black cover that you see out of the advanced D&D line. There were some uh, masters and others that had black covers, but... Here was one that stood out from a lot of the monochrome stuff, which was Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. And, of course, it has that nice uh, Errol Otis uh, creepy thing. Just trying to, uh, like, some kind of, like, you know, mod plant life. Uh, the tentacles. Hey, I've seen enough hentai to know where this is going. Oh! <laughs> uh, oh. It's not going well. Because uh, it, it looks like it's got the mage and one of the fighters under wraps. Uh, and they're headed for the devouring maw. But, yeah, Errol Otis doing his classic style uh, that came to be, you know, practically associated with early D&D modules yep. of that era. Some, this is a 1980s. Some paladin dude with a dragon helm firing a laser pistol into it, and it's like, oh, that hurt. Yeah, and let's just, you know, like, rip the Band-Aid off and say that right on the cover, this is what it tells you. You know, that there's a dude firing a laser pistol into a creature in this forested space um, you had to ask yourself if you were playing D D in 1980 and you saw this whoa what the heck laser pistol oh yeah, yeah. so this was uh this was the revised one this is the second uh, printing this is the 81 version and of course on the back you have the uh Bunch of typical D&D adventurers fighting some crazy uh, plant dudes with spears in what appears to be a high-tech hallway with nice glassy windows and in a well-lit corridor. So here you go. This is, uh, you're you're off to the races right away. So much like Lost Caverns of Sacanth, this also has a degree of thickness uh, to the product that is surprising. Okay, this is... It combines uh, illustrations and uh, additional game information, uh, new monsters. Uh, all of this is provided because it is such a large and complex product. This is I, this one has six levels detailed in maps. So it has not just like one outer cover providing the map, but an inner cover providing the additional maps. Yeah, so this was the... Uh, that space all got used. There is this, so much meat on this. This was put out as a tournament module at Origins and obviously was given the grand treatment by TSR. But uh, this was cynically seen as a way to sell Gamma World to the D&D dweebs. And uh, I kind of call shenanigans on that for two reasons. Um, the length, as Mike said, six maps. This is not just a slap together... 
dungeon. This is a fully fleshed out environment. Yeah, Secondly, this, this is a mega module. Okay, this is as complex and as difficult uh, in terms of detail as Lost Caverns of Zacanth ever was. And although it's weird and different and all of that, you cannot accurately make any kind of claim that you know an insufficient amount of effort was placed into making this. This was not. Yeah, let's put a little something out here to lure the kids over to the, some other game. No, I'm, I'm sorry. They knocked their socks off putting this together. To be fair, maybe there is a little bit of that in here, but there's also well, a great deal of... Certainly you want cross-genre like interest. Mm -hmm. You want gamers to play your other games. I mean, you know, like there's no denying... First, any company that goes, look, you know, we, we got to keep... The, the people who like Pepsi must never, ever drink Mountain Dew, even though we both make... You know, we make both of those things. They must never, ever mix or the world will this die. This shall never cross. Only an idiot would imagine that a corporate <laughs> boardroom is like that. Okay? Right. They, they want that, you know, cross-pollination for gamers. So that's a factor. But did that, like, impede this from being an excellent product? Absolutely not. And my second anyway. counter to that is it's a uh, module for 8 to 12 levels. Yeah. So if you wanted to have something easy to digest and just get some interest peak, you would have it at a little bit more lower level and a little less, you know, well, let's see, elaborate is a word I would use, but sparingly on this one, because in this is a picture booklet. And yeah, we've seen that from Tomb of Horrors, and this one has an extensive illustration booklet with four colored plates in it, which is nice. And also some new monsters, which you would be remiss if you didn't expect some new crazy monsters from outer space. Yeah, but especially this... in the early modules. One of the hallmarks of all of them was the introduction of new challenges. And this one is full of monsters that are now familiar, but were brand spanking new. They'd never been played against before. And you could at least be sure that if you picked up this, your players would be challenged by things they had never, ever encountered. Yeah, and uh, this, uh, this, the preface says that this module was begun in early 76 when TSR was contemplating publication of a science fantasy role-playing game. Dimorda had already shown us some rough notes on Metamorphosis Alpha. I thought it would be a splendid idea to introduce Jim's game at Origins 2 and to introduce the concept of D&D players by means of a tournament scenario. And so there they go, is right off the bat. That is where the legend gets started. But as we like to say, it was, it's seen as crass and cynical because, well, there's just a way to prop up Metamorphosis Alpha and then later Gamma World. Um, this was already in the works before any of those hit the shelves. And this module got flushed out and uh, pulled together and given a full treatment. So in here are some new rules. Um, there's also areas where Adventurers can only get to if they have certain co uh, code cards. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to. Which we talked about, Metamorphosis the, Alpha uh, was a big thing. So, another. Let, let's start with like the first overriding challenge of the entire environment. The first thing that marks this module as particularly challenging, even for high level players. And it, it ties to what you just mentioned the spaceship that has crashed has controls in an unfamiliar language, uh, often described in unfamiliar terms. Uh, things that even if you understood the language, you may not understand the context as mm. characters. Uh, and in tandem with the exhaustive supply of pictures, which were totally necessary to 
really give people an idea of what they were handling or dealing with because DM description can run thin. The ship's controls, uh, the ability to pass from room to room unobstructed, uh, the security functions like the possession of you know, uh, color-coded cards that allow you access into different areas. Um, <laughs> Any idea of just using those? Yeah, uh, people may not grasp it, and it can be an exceedingly challenged module. Uh, the controls for moving from deck to deck, you know, again, are also challenging. Although once you find out, it's very convenient to have an elevator going from the first level all the way to the sixth. Yeah, I, it's... Once they've worked out what it is they're supposed to do, they're golden. But the ship itself and its essential controls become like a puzzle that they also have to unlock just to undertake most of the exploration of the ship. So yeah, abundant challenges. The foolish or lazy player need not apply because this this is a brute. Yeah, obviously this is the remnants, or it has the seeds of the original module, which what I, as I understand it, I mean, not, I'm not going to make any claim to being an authority on this uh, whole thing, but we've done our research and tried to talk to, and, and I've listened to more or less and read interviews with several of the participants of this, and the original one was a lot more sparse in the detail and focused, but it was still very lethal and uh, including an area where you walked right into the engine room and got incinerated. Oh yeah, high radiation zones yeah. are still a feature here. Huh. So yeah, the, the theme of this is the players are ostensibly contacted by nobility concerned about- This fallen star. Yeah, a fallen star and strange creatures attacking at random in the area. Uh, and you know, like maimed and disfigured bodies left over from the attacks and uh, they, want brave, powerful, dangerous heroes to go forth and smite whatever wickedness is out there. And that sends the party uh, lurching their way towards the barrier peaks. Yeah, and the first uh, obstacle is just getting into the place, which requires a little bit of work, but it's not impossible or anything like that. It just, you have to start figuring out. And right away, um, there's a little bit of hand-holding getting you into the first part of the adventure. But once in, um, you're pretty much going to start running afoul of Vegeta Pygmies. And they're pretty much ripe. And as it is, the Vegeta Pygmies are not a natural life form to uh, radiation or, or uh, excuse me, to anything. They could be a mutated radiated uh, humanoid or they could have been a cross contamination from an alien uh, race that they had acquired contact with. And maybe even have led up to the crash of the ship as they got out of hand. Yeah, this was not a warship in the classic sense, but rather a vast uh, traveling colonization exploration ship. Which leads us to talking about the Starship Warden and Metamorphosis Alpha. Yeah. Although this was specifically not the Starship Warden, because that's huge. Yeah, that, that would have been a ultra mega large ship. This, on the other hand, was, you know, kind of the the... A little more like, a little more enterprise-esque. Yeah, a you know? explorer or um, survey ship. And certainly it was intended to have a large crew. However, tragically, space plague. <laughs> yeah. You know, something happened. All yeah, the, regular... the only humanoids on here are the Vegapigmies. Yeah. 
the creature samples that had been picked up and stored in bio labs and things like that have gotten loose. Uh, out the loose. And yeah. weird creatures uh, are periodically engaged in battle with the various robotic and or android staff of the ship, which the players will also periodically encounter. But, well, so yeah, this one's going to require a lot of prep work on the DM. You're going to have to become not only familiar with the environment and the map, but you're also going to have to become very familiar with many of the rules and hazards that are contained within because they're not typical dungeon stuff. Yeah, there's a few things like pits and things like that here and there, but they're more of malfunctioning equipment than anything else. And also a large group of uh, robots and even few androids lurking about. And their programming is completely jilted, so they're just not even understanding what the heck's going on. So everything's an intruder. Yeah, and let's begin with level one, uh, which is a much lower key, okay? Things are, are still pretty calm as the players enter the first level. Uh, once they, they work their way around illustration one uh, and, you know, manage to, you know, work their way into the ship uh, or... Again, that hand-holding gets you a little bit in there. They leave a nice trail of breadcrumbs, which isn't too obvious, but it also isn't without its ambiguities and it allows you to start to uh, train the adventurers on how this is going to go. So that's a nice thing. Uh, and it, it's mostly at this stage, rooms that are you know, like the, the first level is the officials, officers and technicians quarters, which the players have no way of knowing that, but lounges, game rooms, kitchens, dining rooms and laboratories, uh, some valuable jewelry uh, may be found. But interestingly, the real valuables are in the medical labs or in the you know actual laboratories. And there are bottles of various substances that have really interesting effects that would be extremely useful to the cunning player who performs some tests. Like, oh, well, here's some plants growing in a pot. Spritz this stuff on them. Oh, wow, it kills plants instantly. Let's save this for later. Especially with those little bushy buggers running around. Yeah, when you start running into veggie pygmies, uh, you know, something like a defoliant is wonderful. You know, <laughs> Just my Agent Orange, you little leafy <laughs> bastards. Huh. Now, uh, yeah, it, let's look at the map here. Locker. How many map? This is one of the big things about old school people uh, really talked about. How many empty rooms there are? Now, of course, the empty rooms can be filled by the DM if they so wish. Minimal description is given to the staterooms. You know, that yep. like, these are just uniform, identical, and relatively irrelevant. Another dang stateroom. Another pair of socks. Great. Yeah, it, they're storerooms, small arms lockers. Uh, and in the small arms lockers, in this much less dangerous region of the ship the players get their opportunity to put their hands on a variety of high-tech weaponry. Uh, the catch is, illustrations are provided for each of these types of weapons, but the DM is not supposed to give any explanation of how they are operated. So the unwary player may actually do far more harm to themselves or their own party uh, while trying to figure out how these things work. Right. If they just simply start pressing and guessing, then they let them do it. But if they Chaos try to carefully discern what the use is, they're 
artifacts use tables, like in Gamma World and Metamorphosis Alpha, to figure that out. And they're very similar, and it's but a little bit <clears throat> more skewed to the dangerous side. Yeah, the numbered encounters are then given uh, after the descriptions of areas, and you know the corresponding locations on the map. Uh, some of them more than one, like you know, for instance, uh, uh, twelve indicates uh, bands of vegapygmies, uh, and you know, so does uh, eleven. So if you see twelves, there are multiple twelves scattered around. Oh yeah, just tribes of little vegapygmies. Yeah, whole bunches of them. So like this is, it's not until you get further in to level one that you start encountering your first larger uh, you know, opponents. And honestly, most of them are not phenomenally dangerous. Uh, the Veggie Pygmies were an almost ideal start uh, to challenge the players without like instant slaughter. Because this, this was never intended to be Tomb of Horrors-esque where it, it's just that the danger level is high chiefly because so much of what the players are encountering, they don't know how to make use of, and they don't know how dangerous it is. Uh, and that is actually a much larger threat to the players than mere vegapygmies. <laughs> but there is a lurker above. Uh, there are police robots. Uh, some displacer beasts have gotten in. And phase spiders. you Yeah, for those who are... Uh, you know, familiar with phase spiders, uh, that one, that, I've always considered them a medium tough encounter. Very tough. Uh, but these are a dwarf variety of phase spider, uh, but the poison is giant full strength. Face hamsters. <laughs> giant. <laughs> boo! Go for the eyes, boo! Go for the eyes! Uh, and a berserk malfunctioning android that looks like a beautiful human female lying on the floor, unconscious. Yep, could just, yep, it, it's not gonna be good. Yeah. So yeah, um, well, as we start to get towards the break here, we're gonna take a brief moment oh, here and just mention- Let's not forget the doppelganger pack near the, the end of the- Oh uh, yeah, yeah, they but, in here. But yeah, the, the challenges you think are modest uh, as long as you don't encounter them all at the same time. So, you know, it's a good opening level and it prepares the players. Mostly it walks them through what they can expect. Uh, it lets them encounter most of the equipment, the ship systems, the lighting, uh, the design of the place. And it certainly has its share of challenges, but I gotta say that the most impressive part uh, is <laughs> <laughs> the veggie pygmies. That is the greatest. Yeah, that's one that's what I remember from running this. Is just like they're so everywhere. many. There's, there's so many of them. There's so many of them. Yeah, it exhausts gear. No, they're they're not terrible. Yeah, well, they're not terrible. Terribly uh, good fighters. I mean, they uh, they go between a variable of hit dice, so the players can't really lock in on them. And of course, typical stuff works on them. But the whole part is is that they will get a hit in it once in a while, and your sword arm's gonna get tired. <laughs> yeah, your <laughs> the sword arm will be a swinging all day. Now you get into uh, as we get into break here, we're gonna look at some of the other ones and then uh, 
finish up with the epilogue, and then we're going to take a look at the controversy surrounding this as we get to the next part here. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. So let's stick around. Right, and we're back and we're reviewing module s3 expedition to the barrier peaks and we're looking at the areas of two three and four these decks of what they're called the tween decks yeah they're the service areas uh, you know most of the ship's actual controls and one of the major features is that there's piping and wiring and machinery uh, and you know the inattentive character playing around with whatever may very well electrocute themselves <laughs> or generate an explosion similar to a level five fireball, uh, which, you know, the chortle from the DM is that leave players to their own devices. They will find a way to kill themselves. Yeah. Uh, tinkering with a generator or transformer, uh, you know, secondary blasts, uh, you know, <laughs> radius damage, uh, stunning, not to mention the summoning of police and repair robots that like if they do enough damage other things will show up but also down in that area is an escaped intellect devourer uh, yeah i always like that illustration of stocking up on people and on like that oh yeah just creeping around there you know and it's that uh classic scenario where the monster is in a labyrinthine area that is noisy and weird and unfamiliar and dim, and the players are the prey. It knows the environment. Well, then you it don't. becomes one, you know, then you have to figure out which one of the players has been compromised. So it becomes <laughs> a, game, a game of one of us. <laughs> yeah, welcome to John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, <laughs> uh, the third the layer... The sus. <laughs> uh, the third layer is... Uh, you know, cargo holds and a nightclub and a lounge and rave parties. Know, lots of cargo hold space, uh, but uh, like a cocktail lounge and bar with a dancing area. Which, wow, okay, man, I want this ship. Um, but uh, bad news: the numbered encounters for the area include such threats as a you know a bundle of ropers. Uh, strangle vines use illustration 21 mm -hmm. uh, vampire thorn vines uh, the servo robots that you know honestly they're not a threat but the players don't know that if you've encountered a police bot and had your butt kicked you may not be in a good mood uh, or receptive to the assistance that the other bots can give that's a player challenge that's up to them uh, Web birds. Oh, yeah, those are crazy things. Green slime. Well, you know, it's ubiquitous. <laughs> uh, and areas of radiation. Once again, this is a recurring threat throughout the ship. The environment itself is unfamiliar, full of alien and, you know, crazy tech. Uh, and even the treasures, which, like, I found a laser pistol, but I don't know it's a laser pistol. And I shot three of my fellow player characters trying to learn how to make use of it. <coughs> and grenades. Oh, God. Don't even get me started on what happened when we encountered grenades like yeah. the first time we ever ran through this module. It's an egg of metal with buttons. A little, Let's press one. There's, there's a little object that looks like it can be moved. 
What happens? We observe. A tiny light blinks. Now it's blinking faster. I continue to study it. Now it's blinking very fast. And then, yeah, then the next Five thing... Five to thirty points of damage to everybody within a 20-foot radius. And the next thing was pain and fragmentation. Ouch. <laughs> ah, now, the key to level four. Uh, this, welcome to the jungle, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, the swamp jungle, too. <laughs> we live here every day. Uh, botanical gardens, rookery, and menagerie. And this is where the creatures have taken over. Uh, uh, there's yeah. streams and pools, walkways, little animal burrows. Uh, there's a swamp area. Yeah, this lake. was apparently some type of environmental uh, habitation deck. But here it's just gone amok. And, well, you're going to have less robots around here. But, man, you're going to have some monsters, including that squealer. Yeah. And that's a bizarre creature when it comes running at you. The introduction of the Aurum Vorax. Uh, the Leechoid. Uh, deadly reptile section with two lizardoids. I love how they added oid to everything. Uh, <laughs> well, that's how you know it was science fiction. It was an oid. The triflower frond, the snapper saw, the horrid plant, the purple blossoms. Yeah, the horrid plant on the cover. Yeah, these are all located in the botanical gardens uh, and menagerie. And it's not over there, okay? Uh, there's baboons, which are baboonoids. Like, They're just angry baboons. Everything is oid. The oidoids. There's brown pudding. Umber hulk. Uh, <laughs> 20 scintillating phosphorescent fish. Um, <laughs> uh, however, do not make them a snack. Nope. Super toxic. <laughs> and then the squealer itself, which 71 hit points is no slouch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you get through this Just. one. Also, one of the more bizarre monsters that starts a WTF moment when you show them the illustrations is the wolf of sheep's clothing. So this one requires almost an illustration. It looks like a rabbit sitting on a stump. <laughs> Cute little bunnyoid. So it just kind of sits there and maybe kind of wiggles its tail or winks its nose at you. And then you're like, oh, a cute little rabbit. And then these tentacles emerge from the ground and this stump becomes a hungry maw and eyes. It's, you know, adventure of PTSD. It just wanted to pet the rabbit. And then it, it, ate, it ate the magic user and then threw it. <laughs> okay, okay. Calm and then down. throw in a frog hemoth. Oh, uh, oh well. Yeah. I was trying to leave that for a surprise because wrong even like shug off you know. oh yeah but that's like the major encounter of level of, of the right. fourth level I loved the frog hemoth fight uh, oh. the wolf and sheep's clothing yeah you is... love the frog hemoth fight because it's a TPK encounter if you're not careful you get like like see those little eye stalks sticking out and you're like okay but by this time you should have mastered some of those weapons and they come in darn handy with these massive weapons because you get to deal out some impressive damage in these. oh yeah significant harm uh this was also the introduction of the glow bomb. A lot of the things you saw in the Monster Manual 2 uh, that eventually got their own coverage, yeah. they had their place starting in this module, uh, along with... Uh, yeah. And uh, so finally, you get to the Terminus area, the, the, the uh, service deck, and this is where you get very close to the end. And, yes. Uh, uh, I level need to five, go to the... service deck and garden tween decks, uh, which... You know, welcome to mold and ooze. 
and radiation. If also, you needed to know where the sump pumps and the sewage went, it's here. Uh, random encounters have included things called gas bats, which, you know, draw your own conclusions. And trust me, it's not that they just fly up and fart in your general direction. Uh, they're, they're not. It, it ain't that comfy. Uh, you'll wish that was all they did. But Lurker Above and Trappers are featured throughout this module. Uh, yep. Also, strangely enough, a Shadu has uh, become ensnared. A pair of them, actually. Yeah. They wound up finding their way in. Uh, they have achieved ingress. Although this is like a universe-traveling ship, so... But... The Shadu are actually, you know, not evil creatures. No. So it's one of those moments where... The players have agency, and if they like exercise it wisely, they can certainly benefit from that encounter. Because oh, these are both psionically powerful beings. And when we played this, uh, Hans and Franz on Saturday Night Live, if you're familiar with that, was a thing. And uh, in this area, there's a fitness area, of exercise, a gym. And so there's a physical fitness android in here so we gave it the personality of hans and franz and yeah and he's here to pump you wreck up. you up while well, we use f you up because he attacked oh yeah one of them is a karate expert yeah you know, so you've got the martial arts bot uh, and the fencing bot uh, and the boxing and wrestling bot uh, good luck uh, you know the, the standard physical training androids not so bad, but they're man, they're malfunctioning. Yeah, they beat but, you up. Yeah, it, it gets rough because <laughs> uh, they are medium uh, strap and fit uh, in terms of hit dice and very, very strong as you would expect of machines. But other features would be the eye of the deep. Yeah, and we're just going to take a moment gangers. here. We can't really show you. I'll put it up on uh, our site. Uh, some of the pictures of the blaster weapons and uh they're like little tv screens on uh hand with handles on them and you know you would think they were kind of some kind of scanner but they're not that's your laser pistol and your blaster rifle which fits over your shoulder <laughs> and then the artifact tables and again in the center you get uh they call you mation you come up to some security robots and yeah, level six uh, you know really oh man i if you haven't ran screaming out of the ship at this point and you get to the, this level, you're going to come to a stasis pod where there's a boule in the stasis pod that uh, nominally they have found and brought back into study. The robot's working under the programming orders to uh, assimilate and examine native life. And uh, they decide finally they've had enough of your shenanigans and they throw you out of the ship in addition with the boule. <laughs> and there's a nice illustration there where the boule is being the robots are basically like enough of you, we've had enough of you yeah, they're just like throwing the players physically out of the ship like bums and they're also throwing out the boule at the same time and the so, half it lands no, almost nose to nose with the halfling huh. <laughs> which they love halflings <laughs> <laughs> They're not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> the land shark is irritated and hungry. Uh, but among the final encounters, uh, the Mind Flayer. Yeah, the Mind Flayer has figured out a number of devices and he's not afraid to use them. Yeah. This you know, this is like the, the final boss fight uh, for the ship that doesn't involve robots. 
but they do, of course, provide you with a way to huck the players out of the ship yeah. without necessarily killing them. And they get to keep the things that they packed about their persons. The robots don't just throw them out after stripping them of all gear. The robots don't care. They just want the bums out of the complex. Now, it's not obligated for the DM to do that. You know, exercise. It's kind of, yeah, well, yeah they, they, they just said they've had it. And the instructions are is that at this point, they're going to eject the players. Because if they've gotten to this level, they're dangerous enough to be considered a true threat. And so to deal with them, they're just going to try to get them out. And that's that's their purpose. On the bright side, one hopes that by this point, the players have terminated enough of the creepy monsters that there isn't much left in the ship that can come out and menace the surrounding lands. Right, and you kind of ended it. The ship kind of seals itself up, presumably, and another expedition could be mounted. This has been revisited, but in here is also the, uh, the uh, charts for figuring out things. Yeah, these are flow charts for the usage and experimentation with various items. Yep, from Metamorphosis Alphas, Revised, and Gem Worlds. They're very similar. Uh, yeah. But different. There's a chance that players may uh, damage or waste a charge uh, or successfully figure out, or worst of all, destroy the item that they are handling. Yeah. And so the flow charts are set up for the various different types of items and the final section of this module is devoted to the weapons data uh and yeah look at that devices. look at that blaster rifle that's totally intuitive what a blaster rifle would look like <laughs> yeah you would not think look honestly to me it looks like some kind of recording device like, it does yeah it know, looks like like here's my selfie stick yeah here here's jim from channel 7 action news no, okay, I'm gonna take a picture, Jim. Bam! Little did you know <laughs> that's a blaster right that this has multiple settings for disruption beam, heat beam, flame plane. Uh, you know, it, yeah, and the laser pistol is a little, it's like a little bracer with like a dagger like protrusion and a handle underneath it. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, you don't know, like I'm holding it and I poke somebody with it. Ah, what happens? The end breaks off. Well, I, I squeeze the handle. Oh, now we're talking. Okay, laser blasts of flying. Okay. Uh, and it included the needler pistol, the blaster pistol and rifle, the laser pistol and rifle, the paralysis pistol, uh, and a variety of grenades. But then we get to the miscellaneous devices like powered armor, which those who played Gamma World may remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, works great right up until it runs out of juice. Oops. And then you are wearing one heavy movement inhibiting pile of junk. <laughs> the anti-grav belt, uh, float upwards or downwards. Yeah, handy. Underwater swimming gear, uh, gas masks, uh, language translator, portable <laughs> spotlight. They're all kinds of weird stuff with limited power available and power chips that will resupply them for a while. But Sooner or later, those charges wear off. All right, so yeah, let's talk about it. So we've covered this module pretty thoroughly, giving you a good overview of how it plays out. And they give you a nice cross-section of the ships and computer-generated characters. If, you, if your players don't feel like up to hucking their normal players into there, or you just want to play it for a while, this is a nice thing. Um, but the fallout, um, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, uh, this, this module came out- You take the lead, bro. This, this module came out in so many 
groups just prohibited the use of this module or any of its items. They were seen as something secondary to actual play, that magic does it better, why would you do this, it ruins the flavor of your campaign, all sorts of excuses. And not all of them are terrible. There are a few that I think are kind of bad. And while we tend to focus on the bad a lot in life, I just like to cover them briefly just to say that for the most part, the weapons do about a, a consummate amount of damage as wands. And I, I want to say that their strength level is comparable to the strength of things that 8th to 12th level characters would have. Correct. So I, I understand the complaint that if these work their way into the hands of lower level adventurers in a lower level campaign, it is extremely disruptive. Right. However, and these are charged based items. They're eventually going to run out of charges. Yeah. They're going to get broken. And it was just the emotional butter. To, yeah. You don't bring a laser pistol to my table. and. Okay, yeah, if you mentioned that your character had been through Expedition to Barrier Peaks, you might as well just kiss that character goodbye outside of your home. So if you wanted to kind of transition from table to table or just like, hey, my character, Eric Wildstar, is a... Uh, I met a guy that played a crew member from Expedition to Barrier Peaks who was a fighter. And uh, that was his name, Eric Wildstar. And I was, you know, he kind of had a few wet items with him. I kind of liked that guy, but... Uh, He's making believe it's, uh, you know, the ship from uh, oh, Star Blazers. I'm pretty sure that yeah. was an inspiration, but I'm also saying that, like, he said that he was one of the Awakened crew members, and now he's been adventuring in this new area. So, he's a stranger in a strange land, and he's making do. And, uh, yeah, there's uh, potential for cross-pollinization, if you will, of two genres here. And uh, when we're going to go our when we get back after our appendix in science fiction 70s in the 70s movie night we're going to cover the where we think that uh, they took this and made a campaign area setting in paizo's pathfinder game the iron gods adventure path i think they did it right yes early kimono opening on that one you yeah. know and then this leads to the fact that a lot of people said all oh, these uh, these grenades and stuff are very powerful because now you allow fighters to use laser pistols or have the same kind of damage dealing potential magic users. Sure. So a fighter with at 8 to 12th level, potentially, especially at high levels, could have a Helm of Brilliance that does pretty much the same thing and has about the same amount of damage potential and charges. Yeah, so, you hit 12th level and all kinds of crazy crap is happening. 10th to 12th level characters so, just usually dole out mass harm, and it's on the DM to develop dangers and threats that are commensurate with that level of power. Well, the monsters that you should face, yeah, you use one of the fire opal gems off of Helm of Brilliance, and you do 6 to 36 points of damage re-rolling uh, stuff. And, yeah, you wipe out, like, how many orcs put in a 20-foot by 20-foot area? You figure that out? Okay, then that's where we're going. Well, and then, this... so that's, you know, at the most, you're going to get uh, six, maybe eight of them. And that's it. Yeah, of course, the orcs are going to go like, oh, crap, that guy's got his helm that shoots fireballs. Well, I guess our days, our priorities have just changed from beating up the dude in his robes and pointy hat. Well, yeah, that and don't bunch up. Unbunch! Unbunch! Right out! <laughs> uh, I, I got to say, there was, uh, you know, the mistaken impression that D&D &D was kind of inflexible and narrowly focused on a very specific type of setting and experience uh, and 
that is not accurate at all. I mean, if, if our brief discussion of the Temple of the Frog, yeah, uh, you you can go all the way back to the roots, to the origin point, uh, and you begin to see this intrusion of genres, and then in of course in the original Dungeon Master's Guide uh, with the section on six guns and sorcery. Uh, and genre exactly. mixing. Exactly. And, and then you come to this, which is, again, you know, we're basically, if you look at the preponderance of incidents, it's very clear that the staff of TSR in the 1970s had a kind of Wild West approach where, hey, man, what kind of cool fusion thing would be fun to do at the table tonight? I want to freak people out. Well, and this had been done in literature, science fiction liter- literature, like the High Crusade. Where yeah. aliens, or uh, Hugh de Coffrey. Yeah, aliens had invented or invaded a uh, English realm. A knight who had been returning from the Crusades had now uh, come back home and was ready to settle down and you know get on with his life after being very dismayed by what how the Crusades ended up, and then is attacked by an alien menace, and then you know they they charge their horses right in the middle of the ship so that was cool and and they then began a crusade against these other world tyrannical invaders they had a just cause they were finally given what they felt was the right impetus to move forward and liberate other people from the slavery and tyranny of these hostile and very tyrannical alien imposed kind of like space nazis they can just punch them with impunity and not worry about any moral implications not like crusaders had a lot of those well, but it's a you know classic flash gordon pulp ming the merciless right you know, and, and now it's like uh, medieval warriors in space fighting for justice at last with guided missiles and thermal uh guide thermal nuclear tipped guided missiles once they <laughs> figured out by trebuchet <laughs> once they figured out how to get the uh the uh, launch mechanism picked Brother Maynard, bring forth the Book of Armaments. <laughs> and once they figured that out, though, yes, they, they got... Three shall be the number of the counting. <laughs> Five is right out. And yeah. yeah there, it, I, I love Poole Anderson uh, for that, because his Pulp Fiction uh, sensibilities blended really nicely into fantasy and then blending science yeah, these, fiction. Yeah, these creatures were a conquering race of very strong, but over the period of time, they had become very used to fighting a specific form of high-tech warfare, and they no longer, they lost the art of melee combat. There was a segment in a Dragon magazine called Giants in the Earth that featured some of the characters from Poole Anderson's series and gave them stats so that the players couldn't counter them. And if you understood that at that time, you know, like this module, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks was out, the idea of space travel and D&D and stuff like that, Spelljammer hadn't happened yet, but the premise was already there. there. It was rife throughout gaming at the time. So it was like a what if. And if you didn't like it, don't use it. Yeah. I, that was that was our retort. The power was, ultimately lies in the hands of the, the DM and the group of players at every individual table. So uh, whatever harm some people think it did, uh, I, I was not upset by it because the potential is there to curtail the damage. And worst case scenario, you just don't use it. Man, you just don't use them. Wow, just wait. <laughs> What's happening? I'm uh, once again. You feel yourself drawn into the inscrutable gaze of the arcane eye, and you are forced to look at other role-playing games and independent projects across so the internet. Many eyes. Yeah. So one thing we've been talking about here is getting back to uh, 
some of our core and roots. And so we're going to talk about a uh, game. I have a couple games that got away from me. And uh, Dark Conspiracy was one of them. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I just didn't. I was playing so many games at the time, and my time was limited. I didn't have time to pick it up. And now I really regret that we didn't get time to really break down and play a whole ass campaign of Dark Conspiracy. Yeah, which is a tragedy. Although, in my case, I was up in Lansing at yeah. the time that that came out. So I was literally out of the loop for almost 10 years. So uh, I went and got in Workborg. Unfortunately, I was not impressed. I did send it back. They were very nice to give me a refund. So with that refund money, I got some other stuff. And one of the things I got was Mothership. Ooh, is it up for the downstroke? Yes. Is it, is it got the bomb? Oh, all right, all right. Funk? I hear you with the Parliament <sighs> Funkadelic, but let's, okay. let's kind of, let's go with the Uber here. Now. All right, Mr. Notes here. I, you know, just look, the Arcane Eye is a focus segment. Let's keep it that way. So Mothership is a science fiction horror role-playing game that basically takes the premise of Traveler and narrows it down to the space horror genre. And it's a science fiction horror game that takes kind of the best things of Alien and some of the other B-tropes and puts them into one where you and the crew are trying to survive in the most inhospitable environment, outer space. And you're going to go and excavate dangerous derelict spacecraft, crash into planets, sound familiar, explore strange unknown worlds and get eaten by most of the inhabitants, <laughs> exterminate hostile alien life and examine horrors that encroach upon your every move. Flesh-eating viruses come free. That's right. So they give you four classes and uh, scientists and, you know, anybody who wants to tinker around with cutting open your crew members infected with a xenomorph, this is the one for you. Teamsters, the guys who do all the work and have get killed probably first. Yeah, um, but they get to drive the big bot, right, with the, the muscle arm. Oh, know, yeah. Er, er, er. Yeah, they get the Ripley cool bot mode. Right, they can be everything from engineers, pilots, miners, whatever. And then you've got your androids. Perfect. Okay, that fits the stereotype. The the alien. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they're powerful due to their intellect and speed and near immunity to fear, but they're not human, and they could be. They could have an agenda. <laughs> and then finally, of course, the one that I wow, the Marines. Yeah, they're here to shoot bugs and chew bubble gum, and they're all out of gum. Yep, handy in a fight. But uh, when they panic, oh, game over, man. Game over. Rest in peace, Bill Paxton. We love you. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. It's, it's a very intuitive die 100, they call it the panic engine. And it has a nice flow chart for designing, uh, for running combat, hit locations, everything like that. It's able to jump right in. And best of all, you can get the free the PDF for it free. That's right. Cheap as in free. We love free here. Oh, wow, I am literally aroused. The book so. uh, itself is only 15 bucks. You can also pay what you want. Uh, it's won numerous awards, and we need to mention it because uh, they're coming out with a Kickstarter that gets you the corset and a deluxe set for 100 bucks. Oh. Wow, I mean, they're going all out, and I think this role-playing game is one that combines the best aspects. So, that said, the Parliament Punkadelic tropes can now start. <laughs> the Arcane Eye releases you from... It's unyielding gaze. And back into your norm of reality. Ah. So Mothership, look, check it out. Yeah, yeah. From Tuesday Night Games. Look for the connection. You know what? I, I like that. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. So, well, yeah, we... Uh, we have almost no time left. We've covered controversy, uh, but... We wanted to make the uh, plug for Mothership, but we're going to talk about our uh, little game that we're doing on 
uh, playing it again tonight. So me, uh, Mike's going to be uh, more map monkeying uh, anger face at me. And I'm going to attempt to uh, try to get the players to the second level tonight. Well, we, we got uh, to the Room of Pools last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. got just a couple of minutes and uh, the famous uh, In Search of the Unknown Room of Pools with their mysterious effects, uh, which, you know, we, we, we were treading where angels fear to go. Oh, so. yeah. Uh, there's no way to be sure without testing. Yeah, and well, well, fortunately, nobody put their face first into the pool of green slime. Yeah, which has happened. Like, okay, you know, I, I pour a glass of the green stuff and I drink that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, much room for comic, but also much room for tragedy. So... Uh, we managed to make our way through the room of pools with great success. Uh, Everybody so, was very, yeah, I was on their toes, and that's a big I got muted. Yeah. The yeah. silence pool got me, which, hey, there's no punishment worse for Mike than being zapped by the silence pool. So, yeah, going pretty good. And uh, I think that everybody's uh, been enjoying it. So, probably we'll finish up in the next session. I'm going to be putting up some pictures on our uh, Facebook page. On our group so if any of you folks are interested in joining that i can add you to send me or uh, my wife or i think uh mike might be an admin too we have to look at that but we'll we'll uh oh. get you updated on that uh how if you're interested in looking at any of our stuff we've been doing been having a lot of fun as we like to say but, so <laughs> all right so as we come up we hope you enjoyed our look back at module s3 Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. And of course, you like what we do, you can always give us a like on Facebook and let us know because we like head pass and like buttons. So, Yay. and that'll do it for us. So, we'll hope to see you soon next week. Appendix and movie night, science fiction in the 70s. So, until then, we're out. May the dice always, always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya. <laughs>